מסכת בבא קמא, דף מ. תנו רבנן, אפוטרופסין משלמין מן העלייה ואין משלמין כופר. If you have an estate that's owned by a miner and uh, the court appoints a steward to take care of it, and uh, in, the, in the estate there's a, a, a short mu'ad that goes and gores and causes damage, uh, so someone definitely has to pay, and according to this b'raita, it's the apotropos that has to pay from his own superior land. We saw yesterday there were two opinions about this, whether the apotropos pays himself, and then when the kids grow up, he can then collect money back from the estate, or whether he is permitted to take to take uh, land or money from the estate to pay it. So according to Zbraita, the Apotropos, he was um, uh, delegated to be responsible, and he should have made sure that the ox, ox is being uh, cared for and guarded. And so therefore, he has to pay. In the meantime, we're not yet authorized to take the money from the estate. That's the first halacha. The second halacha that we're going to focus on is if that ox, go, if an ox that owned by a state goes and gores and kills a person, so normally if there's just a regular adult owner, that owner is liable to the death penalty from the letter of the law, uh, but this is the one case where he can get out of the death penalty by paying an amount which would be the ransom for his life. Uh, but in the case where they are minors and an apotropos, then nobody pays the kofir. Uh, the minors don't pay uh, because they're they're not respond. They're they're minors, so they don't need atonement, right? This is going to we're going to see for in a second that this is kofir for atonement for their sin, um, and uh, so the minors don't have to pay, and the um, apotropos also does not have to have to pay because he's paying on behalf of the minors, and the minors don't have to pay, and he's not responsible because he's not the owner, so he doesn't need atonement either, and therefore, although an apotropos does have to pay for damages, that is different, because damages, there's someone here that has a, a loss of, and, and needs to get paid, so one way or another, apotropos will pay it here, and then he'll get the money later, um, but in terms of atonement, uh, there's nobody that requires atonement, and atonement, uh, the kofit is not paid. Okay. Now we ask, who would be the author of this baraita that who assumes that this ransom payment is for atonement? You see, there's two opinions. One uh, we're going to see. One says the ransom payment is atonement. Another one says that it's uh, uh, it's monetary restitution. If it's monetary restitution, nizikin, uh, then uh, the the will be the same as the first case uh, where it's like a, a short uh, muad that pays. Uh, the apotropos would have to. To pay. So this obviously is um, referring to the other opinion that says that the kofiz, ransom amount, is not monetary restitution for a loss, but rather is atonement for the owner. And since it is atonement and the orphans who are minors are not subject to the law of atonement, they don't need atonement because they are not morally responsible, they're not of age, and therefore no, no kofiz needs to be paid. So who thinks all these things and would be the author of this baraita? As we see in the following, Regarding the pasuk of this case, that um, an owner of an ox that kills someone, uh, he would get the death penalty, but he can give a redemption for his life. Pidjon nafsho, who is the pro? 
pronoun of nafsho, it's a machloket. Tanakama says, deme nizak, we evaluate the, the, um, uh, the, the worth of the victim who was killed. And if it's a you know, young person, an old person, we, uh, the payment has, is dependent on their worth. Whereas Bishmal ben, uh, the son of Rabbi Yachad ben Beroka says, no, it's the nafsho refers to the one giving it, which seems to be the simple reading, venatan, that's the person giving, pinyon nafsho, the pronoun should go on him. And so is the value of the mazik. We evaluate him if he's uh, old or young and weak and strong. And uh, depending on what his worth is, that's how much he has to pay. Now, what's that essence? It's not just what the pronoun is. What's that the essence of their machloket? It seems that they're divided along this very line. That's They say that the ransom payment is is monetary restitution. So it depends on how much damage was done. Just like with damages, if there's a lot of damage, and if they pay, pay more, little damage, you pay less. So too, if the ox kills someone, so we evaluate the victim. Of course, every life is an infinite value and all that, but in legal terms, um, this was done, you know, by not by a person themselves, uh, but by their um, by their shor. So therefore, this it is possible to redeem a person, um, but nevertheless, it is a monetary restitution, and so it depends on the value of the person, the market value, and uh, on a slave market, how much would this person be worth? And so it depends on how much the nizak was worth because it's, it, it is, in fact, damages. So it could be more or less depending on that because it's monetary restitution. It's nizakin. Whereas Abi Ishmael thinks that um, it's, it's atonement. Since it's atonement, if I'm the owner, I need atonement. I need atonement for my life. Really, I should give my life. I'm paying instead for the value of my life. So therefore, I'm going to evaluate it depending on my value, if I'm young and strong or, or weak and old and or whatever. Um, so it depends on the value of the redemption. And therefore, uh, Rav Chista says, um, the author of this Baraita would be Rabbi Ishmael, who thinks that we follow the mazik, and uh, and uh, the ransom is for for the sake of atonement, and children do not need atonement, and that's why the apotropos does not have to pay anything. So this is actually a little problematic, because that means that this baraita is going with a minority opinion of Rabbi Ishmael. Is there a way we can explain it according to everyone? Yes. says, in fact, everybody agrees that the ransom is for atonement, and therefore everyone Everyone could be the author of this baraita. Even though it's atonement, still there's a controversy where about how you evaluate the atonement. Rabbanan say it's still the nizak. Um, uh, I'm, I'm responsible. My ox killed this person, and so I need to redeem myself from the this death uh, that I caused. So if it's a death of uh, someone who is worth more or less, in order to redeem myself, I pay according to the value of what was uh, damaged. Uh, so it could still be atonement even though you follow Nizak, whereas Bishma ben Broka says, as we did before, it's a ransom for my own life. And therefore, I need it. I'm the one that needs the atonement. So it's, uh, we decide it based on the value of my life. But really, uh, both of these can fit into the atonement idea. Now, my ta'ama de Rabbanan. Uh, what is the source of Rabbanan? 
let's say we follow the nizak nemrashita lematav nemrashita lemaala malalan bedin nizak afkan bedin nizak. He makes a gezerah shava from two pesukim in the same perek in Shema chapter twenty-one. Uh, it says it regarding two men who are fighting and they uh, hit a pregnant woman and they have to pay kasher yashit baal haisha. So they have to pay according to the amount, and it says the word shita. And in that, in that context, it's obvious that it's talking about the value of the nizak, of the damage that's caused. And so, just as it has, says the word up there, that's the, the verb shita, here also it says kasher yushat alav, uh, regarding the ox that kills a person. And so, according to that, gezer shava, just like in the case of the pregnant woman who miscarries, it's the nizak value, so too with the ox is the value of the nizak. That's the source for Rabbanan. Alright, he says, no, just look at this pasuk by itself. He says he gives the value of his uh, his life. That means the value of his own life. It's a simple reading. Rabbanan, what are you going to do about that? He says, I agree that the ransom will be for his life. Really, he deserves the death penalty, so he has to ransom his life. So I agree that actually the pronoun can go on the person giving a value of his life. Nevertheless, when you come to evaluate how much that should be, in that case, I follow the Gezer Shava. You want to ransom your life for killing a person? Well, you have to pay the value of that person. So just because um, you're paying that value doesn't mean it's uh, it's uh, damages, uh, but rather it can still be atonement. And there that we uh, conclude that according to everyone, the coffin is, is an atonement value and therefore the children do not have to pay and the steward does not have to pay. Now we go on the tangent that's a fun story that is going to be related to some of these halachot that we mentioned. So um, uh, Rava was praising Rav Bar Yaakov in front of Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman, his teacher. So Rava was saying, listen, Rav Nachman, there's the sage of Bar Yaakov, he's really amazing. You should meet him. And so uh, Rav Nachman says, okay, when he comes around, bring him to visit me. I would love to meet him. So when Rav came and he uh, visited Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman said, ask me a question. I mean, normally you'd think that the, the teacher who meets a, 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 a smart stu- person would ask the student a question or the, the visitor a question. But here he's, ask, he's saying to ask me a question from the from the uh, uh, from your question, I want to see if you know how to ask a good question. You can tell someone's level of learning by uh, by seeing if they if they know how to ask uh, an insightful and challenging question. So, in fact, Rav Acha had a very challenging question. Let's say have two people that who are partners and together own an ox, and the ox goes and kills a person. So now someone has to pay ransom. Um, who's going to pay? We're assuming, as we as we just concluded, that ransom is atonement. So how are you going to pay? How are two people going to pay the ransom for atonement? Are both of them going to pay the the value of the ransom? But the Torah says one ransom. It doesn't say two ransoms. You don't have to pay double. 
היי חצי כופר וחצי כופר, כופר שלם על החמנה ולא חצי כופר, אז איש וואן פי הפה כופר? לא, אבל התורה says כופר, כופר נפשו. So that means a full amount, not a half. So uh, what, what is it going to be? All right, this is in fact a challenging question. הדיאתי וכמעיין בה, סודם נחמן, is thinking about it. He's looking, he's, he's trying to find a source, trying to find a reason. Um, so he really got stumped. So while he's still, still, still thinking about that question, Rav Echa brings another question. And he says, look, it says in the Mishnah, Tenan, Chayave Adachin Memashkenin Otan, Chayave Chataot Vashamot En Memashkenin Otan, Chayave Kofarin Mai. Now we know that if someone make, 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 makes a pledge for their own worth, I give the worth of myself to the Bet HaMikdash. And there's a, there's a chart of how much you would have to give. Now, let's say the person doesn't pay it right away, and now the deadline's already coming, so the court can go after that person's property and uh, uh, seize their property in order to pay the arachin, to make sure that he fulfills his vow. That's true for arachin, but if a person says, I am liable to bring an animal, they take upon themselves that they need to bring a chatat or, a, or an asham because they did something wrong, and so they said, okay, I'm going to bring here, I'm going to bring this animal. Um, we do not seize their property because we assume that they're going to do it on their own. Because, why? Because the person wants atonement. They made some kind of sin. Everybody wants to get atonement. So if they are dedicated themselves to bringing it, they will bring it in time, and the betin does not have to get involved. Okay, that's two models. And so now his question is, what about chayav kofed? If someone's ox goes and kills someone, so do we compare that to arachin? where a person might not end up paying it. Um, and so the betin has to step in, or it is for atonement, so maybe a person will uh, pay it on their own and the betin does not have to get involved. Right? What's the law? Here's the different sides of it. Uh, because it is for atonement, so that's similar to a chatat and asham, where a person is going to be very serious about it, and uh, he'll, don't worry, they'll bring it on the zone, the Betin does not have to go ahead and repossess his, uh, his, um, uh, his uh, 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 ox or his uh, whatever, how much, however much he has to pay, his property um, in order to pay for the value of the ransom. Uh, that's one side. On other hand, it's different from because the payment for the ransom goes to the victim's family, the one who was killed. And since he's giving it to another person and he's not giving it to the Bet HaMikdash, so maybe he won't take it so seriously. Right, he did some kind of uh, sin, and so he's going to give this korban to, to the Bet HaMikdash, and so there he wants atonement from high. But this, it's uh, more like a monet, it's, it's, it, is a, it is a monetary payment to another person, so it feels more like just a regular payment, and therefore he may not do it without extra encouragement from the court. Or another reason, or he'll also reason to himself and say, I didn't kill someone, it was my property.
Lee. My ox that is, is what killed someone. So he won't take the matter very seriously, and therefore the court needs to intervene. He won't really feel that guilty that he needs to actually bring atonement, unlike where Chatat and Asham, where he actually did the action. Um, so uh, according to that, the Betin would have to. Okay, good question. So Rav Nachman answers, says, leave me alone. I'm still stuck on the first question that you asked me, right? I already got stumped and I'm looking and I'm preoccupied and now you're adding yet another question. Um, so I, anyway, uh, Rava and, and, uh, proved his point that Rav Achab Yaakov was in fact an Adam Gadol and he already stumped Rav Nachman once and Rav Nachman says, that's enough, right? I can't think about the second question. Uh, the Gemara does not provide answers to these good questions, uh, but the point of the story was to show the greatness of Rav Acha. You have an owner who has an ox, and uh, it is in fact an, a shor mu'ad. But someone comes and borrows it, assuming that it was tam. So he's under a, fall, a false presumption. Now, while the borrower has it, it goes and gores a person causes damage. So what's the law? Well, the borrower, he, the borrower is responsible for the ox as long as he's borrowing it, right? Whatever, if something happens to it. So um, normally, the borrower would be responsible if it's a short time, the borrower would have to pay half. If it were a short mu'ad, and he knew it was a short mu'ad, then the borrower would have to pay the entire amount. But in this case, he thought it was tam. So therefore, they split the difference. The owner has to pay half because he passed it off as a short tam. And uh, the shoel also has to pay half, half because he thought it was a short tam. So he still has to pay half. Um, uh, so certainly the shoel has to pay half as a tam. And the baal makes up the difference um, uh, as a mu'ad because he didn't inform the borrower of, uh, as such. That's case number one. Second case is the opposite. The own, it was a short time. The owner gives it to the borrower. While it's under the hands of the borrower, it gores three times and becomes a mu'ad. Um, and then he gives it back to the to the owner. Uh, so and then it goes and then it goes after that under the owner. So the owner only has to pay half. This is because his his ox when he gave it was only a short tam. So he's still responsible, but only as a short tam. Whereas the shoel the shoel was responsible to, for turning it from a tam into a muad, and so therefore. We might have thought that the borrower would have to pay the other half, uh, but the, the Biraita does not say that. Instead, it says the borrower does not have to. Uh, the Gemara will discuss why. The initial assumption is that because it changed hands, and we saw before that when uh, an ox um, changes ownership or changes management, then it goes back, goes from uh, being a mu'ad back to a tam. So that will be the initial reason that the Gemara will say, and we'll see more about that. Okay, Amar Mor. Let's analyze the first half first. If the borrower thought it was a tam, uh, but it turns out actually it was mu'ad, so the owner has to pay half, and the borrower also has to pay half. Uh, why does he? Why does the borrower even have to pay half? Why can't the borrower make a claim and say, "I wanted to borrow an ox. I didn't want to borrow a lion, right? If I knew it was Moad, I would not have borrowed it at all because um, it, it's more wild, and I didn't even want to pay half. Because if I knew, if I 
if it was a short time, then I would have uh, treated it like a short time. It was probably, well, not a gore at all. Um, uh, whereas if it was, if I knew it was wild, like a lion, then I would not have taken it at all. And so I should have to pay nothing. Rav says that's a good claim. You're right. And this case must only be where he knew already that it was a violent and damaging ox. It wasn't legally yet a mo'ad from, for technical reasons. Maybe the, the witnesses didn't come. Um, but the, uh, the owner, the borrower, knew that it's been goring, it's acting, acting in a wild way. So he knew he was, what he was getting into, and he knew that he would have to you know, watch it, and he was taking on that risk. But nevertheless, the borrower could make a claim and say that, okay, although I knew it was violent, still, I wanted a tam and not a mo'ad. I wanted to limit my liability to only half, even if it should do something. I never agreed that I would pay a whole amount as a mu'ad. So we answer, So the uh, so to the owner can say, okay, in the end, so you thought it was a tam and you were willing to accept upon yourself the responsibility to pay half? Okay, so that's what I'm asking you to pay is only half. Uh, and, um, uh, right, you would have had to pay half, so therefore now, still pay half, right, even though you thought it was a tam, and now it turns out to be mu'ad, but you still are obligated to pay half if it were tam anyway. But the borrower can still make a claim and say, no, if it was really tam, my liability would be limited to the body of the animal. But now that it's mu'ad, and now this is unlimited liability, and I have to take from my own property, but the owner, the bar, the bar, the owner can say, answer to that and say, "Mishum damar le sof sof at lav Torah ba'it shadomel lididi." You have to, uh, still have to pay the ox to me. In other words, the borrower will have to pay the nizak from the body of the uh, ox. And let's say the whole thing needs to be paid. Oh, so fine. Here, just take the ox, and fine. His uh, his liability would be limited to that. But nevertheless, the borrower still has to pay the owner back from his own property for the ox. He still has to give the he still has to give the ox back, and so he's still going to have to take property from his from his own uh, land. And therefore, it doesn't it makes no difference. Even if it were tam, he would have to give it back, and so he's not losing out anymore now that it's it's muad and he has to pay and he's paying half. Okay, Okay, this borrower has every claim under the sun. He says, if I knew it was Tam, then I would have gone and admitted and I wouldn't have to pay because the chasinezik of a short Tam is a fine. And the general law about fines is if one uh, admits to it, then you don't have to pay. So I would have ran to the court and admitted what happened and I wouldn't have paid. But now, now now that it turns out to be a mu'ad, I wasn't able to do that. That's one opinion that says that it's a fine. There is another opinion that says Chasin Ezek of a short time is in fact damages. And so even admitting it, I would, he would still have to pay. But even according to that opinion, see this borrower, he knows, he knows every which way. I could have found a loophole and I could have taken the animal if it were Tam and hidden it 
in the marsh. And then when the nizah comes, I would have said, well, you, all, you can only collect from the body of the goring animal. And um, it's not here. I don't know where it is. Right? Go find it. Uh, but he's going to hide it out the whole time. So he could have used this loophole to avoid paying. But if it's a mu'ad, he can't do that because for a mu'ad, he has to pay from his best land. And so um, he could have done that. Uh, so we accept all this answer, these answers, even though this is not exactly a very straightforward way of avoiding paying. Nevertheless, well, technically he could have, and so he has a valid claim. So you know what? You're right. This whole baraita is only talking about a case where the betin uh, first goes and seizes the, uh, the ox before anything to make sure that he will pay. Some versions have uh, not betin, but baaldin. At the Nizak goes and, and claims it. Okay, either way, the point is that because it's a case like that, there the borrower now loses the claim. He can't say that I would have admitted. Admission only works before payment. And he can't say I would have hidden it because it's already in the possession of the Betin or of the Nizak, so he would not be able to hide it. And therefore, he loses out on that claim in such a case that um, the, the owner can say, well, listen, you would have to pay half damages no matter what. And therefore, so what? I didn't tell you. I didn't tell you it was a mu'ad. But you still have to pay half damages because you would have had to pay half damages even if it were tam. Okay, good. So all that um, explains the claim of the borrower. But now we're going to go the other way. Uh, the owner can also have a claim and say, why do I have to pay half? If, in fact, it was taken by the Betin uh, uh, before, before the judgment, um, then why does the owner have to pay half nezek? The owner could go to the borrower and says, why did you let my ox get seized by the court? Now I can't engage in litigation and a compromise. See, if uh, we had it, and if it for me, I would have held on to it and not let them take it. And, uh, and if so, I would have had more leverage and I could have made a compromise. I could have made a deal with them. I'll pay you this amount. And they would have agreed because then that way they could avoid having to go through the whole court case. And so, he could say, I don't want to pay half. It's your problem because it was seized from you. And the answer to that is, The borrower can say, okay, and if I returned it to you, then the court would have come and took, taken it from you. So either way, it would have been, been at the court and you still wouldn't have had anything uh, for that leverage. So that makes no difference, the fact that um, it was taken from my house. It could have equally been taken from your house. Oh, but maybe the borrower could say, well, yeah, but if you returned it to, from, to my house, I would have went and hidden it in the marsh. And that way I could have avoided it being taken. And the answer is, Yeah, but the borrower can say, Yeah, but in the end, you, the owner, knew it was Mu'ad, and you have to pay from your own superior quality land. So it doesn't help if you hide it. So it doesn't matter. The Betin can still come after your property. So hiding it doesn't help you. And uh, therefore, you would have to pay no matter what. Okay, good. Don't find that. All this answer would be good where the owner actually does have other property. But let's say he has no other property. Besides this ox, he has no land. He doesn't own anything at all. So he would say, oh, you should have 
Um, I don't have to pay because if you returned the ox to me, I would have hidden the ox and they have no other property that they could have taken it taken it from and I would have not had to pay at all. And the answer to that is, And the borrower can say, yeah, but just like I'm indebted to you, I'm also indebted to the injured party. In other words, I don't have to pay you so that then you will pay the injured party. I, I can pay it directly. Says in general, if A owes B money and B owes C money, C doesn't have to go to B. C can go directly to A and say, listen, you owe B, but he owes me. And so uh, pay me directly and he can, he, can, um, he can extract money directly from his debtor's debtor. And, uh, and so that's what's happening now. Then Isaac says, listen, uh, you have to pay the owner. It's your, your ox. You have to pay me. Um, yeah, but uh, 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 he has no money. It doesn't matter. He can go after the borrower because the borrower has to give it to the owner and the owner has to give it to the Nizak, and so Nizak can get it directly. So even if the um, owner has no money, still the uh, oh, the borrower would be on the hook for it, and therefore can give it there, give it over directly. All right, we so we solved the problems and all the possible claims, and we explain, understand why in the Resha each one has to pay half. But now it's like, let's explain the Sefa. Here it was a short tam. And then at the borrower, while it was under the borrower, it gored three times and became a mu'ad. And then it goes back to the owner and gores. So the owner has to pay only as a short tam, chasinezik. And the borrower, even though the borrower is responsible for making it from a tam to mu'ad, does not have to pay anything. So why is that? The it seems that the Sefa is assuming that uh, a change in custody changes its status. And so even though it was Mu'ad with, uh, when it was under the borrower, when it goes back to the owner, it goes back to being Tam. But the Resha did not assume that because in the Resha it was Mu'ad under the owner and then he, then he gave it over to the borrower and it remained Mu'ad. It didn't become Tam, it was Mu'ad and that's why each one has to pay half. So it seems that the Resha is assuming that a change in custody does not change the status of the ox and the Resha Things that it does change. So what, what's going on? There's two different assumptions and two halves of the Braita. Biochanan says, indeed, this uh, Baraita is disjointed, and the one who taught the first half is a different person who taught the second half. They're actually two different authors, and they were just smashed together because they happened to be about the same topic. Rabba doesn't like that answer, and he says, no, if the Resha is assuming that it does not change status, so to the Sefa does not think it changes status. So so that means that it was, uh, it became um, a mu'ad under the borrower. It remains mu'ad. So therefore, why does the borrower not have to pay half since it is mu'ad or the owner pay a full amount? Because the owner can say to the borrower, it's not within your power to make it forewarned. Right? You were just borrowing it, and so your negligence caused it, but that you don't have the power to change it uh, when it's under your 
um, uh, your custodianship, uh, it cannot possibly become a short, uh, a short mu'ad from my perspective. Uh, so therefore, from the perspective of the owner, it never became a short time. It's not that it's a short mu'ad now by definition, and then it changes back into a short time when it goes back into the custody of the owner, um, because we're not assuming that. We're assuming that change in status, as change in ownership does not change, does not change the status. So it's not that it's changing the status, but rather um, from the perspective of the owner, he gave it as a short time, and it remains Remains a short time for him um, because he, the the borrower, doesn't have the power to change its status for the owner. Okay, so that's how Rabbi explains it. Papa Amar Midisefar Reshut Meshana Reshana Meir Reshut Meshana. The Papa says the opposite that since the Sefa assumes that the status does change, so to the Resha also assumes that the status does change um, when it changes ownership. And therefore, um, even though the borrower, um, it was a mu'ad under the borrower, un, un, it was mu'ad under the owner, and then he gave it over to the borrower, why doesn't it change? Because it didn't actually change ownership. When the owner gives it to the borrower, everybody goes around, everybody still refers, it, refers to it as, oh, whose ox is that? It's the owner's ox. Oh, the other guy's just borrowing it for a little while. It does not really changing ownership. It's different if you uh, sell it, it or inherit it and it goes to a different owner altogether here it remains under the same ownership and therefore whatever its status was before which was muad it remains a muad um, and ownership does not change uh, and, and borrowing is not the same as changing ownership and therefore it remains muad we now go back to the end of the Mishnah that says, Shora istadin enochayav mita, uh, that a stadium ox is not put to death. Uh, be, even though it gored and kills a person, and normally the ox would, would be killed, but since here it was instigated by its... Um, uh, its handlers to go and be more violent than an, a, 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 an ox normally would be, so it's not the ox's fault and it is not put to death. Okay, so we know that it's not put to death, but what about offering it as a sacrifice? Even though it's involved in a in a sin, uh, can it be offered as a sacrifice? It's a machloket. Rav Amar Kasher, Ushmuel Amar Pasul. Rav Amar Kasher, Anusu. Ushmuel Amar Pasul, Hare Rav said it's fine. Shmuel said it's not. Uh, Rav said it's okay to make it as a sacrifice because even though it killed a person and normally an animal that's involved in a sin does not get sacrificed, nevertheless, it's not its fault. It's beyond its control. Uh, it was trained to do so. And Shmuel said it cannot be offered as a sacrifice since a sin was committed through it whether or not it was nat- it was nature or was its fault doesn't matter. It was even if it was the tool that people used to commit a sin. Nevertheless, this is an animal involved in a sin, and therefore is not appropriate to offer as a sacrifice to God. We're going to have a challenge against Shemuel who says that you cannot uh, offer it. Uh, so the question is going to be uh, is a long one. Uh, the Torah says that you can bring an animal from uh, Behema and it describes the animals that can be brought as a sacrifice. So, But since it says mean, meaning only some of them, it's also exclusionary. So, 
that phrase excludes any animal that is involved in bestiality, either as the active or passive partner. Minabakad excludes an animal that is um, worshipped as, as an idolatrous way. And Minason excludes an animal that is set aside for, even, for worship, even if it was not actually worshipped, it was set aside for idol worship. And Minason excludes Nogeyach, an animal that gores and kills a person. All right, that's if it kills a person on purpose. Amar Shimon, Im Ne'emar Robeya, Nama Ne'emar Nogeyach, Im Ne'emar Nogeyach, Lama Ne'emar Robeya. Shimon asks, why do we need to exclude both a Robeya and a Nogeyach? Both of them get the same punishment that they get stoned. So why can't the Torah just tell us one of them? And then I could figure, well, if this one does not qualify to become a sacrifice, then the other one also, the same thing, I could figure it out myself. And the answer is, There are certain laws uh, that apply to the, uh, the one engaged in bestiality that does not, uh, do not apply to an animal that kills, and vice versa. Each one has a stringency that I might say, oh, that's why uh, this one, it doesn't get uh, sacrificed, but the other one has a leniency, and say, well, maybe therefore that one could get sacrificed. Um, what, are the, uh, what are the stringencies in both? Uh, and bestiality is more stringent because the law is the same whether the animal is forced into it or it does it, by, it, does it on its own. Forced into it, it's the receiving partner, kirason, if it's the active partner, the result is the same. In both cases, it cannot be sacrificed. Uh, but that's not true for nogeyach, where it's the uh, it's not the same, ones and rason. In that case, whether it kills on its own or was forced to instigate it into killing, the law is the same. You cannot be sa- It cannot be sacrificed. This is the source of the challenge against Shemuel. Uh, but first, we have to finish the whole b'raita. If an animal gores and kills, the owner has to pay ransom. But if it's involved in bestiality, the owner does not have to pay ransom. So in that sense, Robeya is more lenient. And therefore, you might think that um, even though Nogeach does not offer it as a sacrifice, maybe Robeya is offered as a sacrifice. Um, so that's why he has to say Robeya. So that's why you need both of them. That's why the Torah needs um, exclusionary phrases to teach me both of them because I could not learn one from the other. That's the end of the Braita. Now here's the challenge. It says that for Robeya, <coughs> it doesn't matter if it's uh, uh, done to it or done, does it willingly, but for killing, it does make a difference whether it did it on its own. There, the um, uh, th- there, it cannot be sacrificed. But if it's instigated and does it against its will, then it can be sacrificed. This is a challenge to Shemuel, who said it cannot be sacrificed. And when we make this comparison over here, isn't this talking about in the context of can you bring it as a korban or not? And so this is a challenge to Shemuel, who said you cannot bring it as a korban. According to this, if it's honest, then you can bring it as a korban. And we answer, la liktala. No, this comparison, you thought it was talking about uh, differences regarding sacrificeability. And no, it was actually differences between whether the animal deserves a death penalty. If an animal um, is involved in bestiality, no matter what, even honest, it deserves a death penalty. But when it comes to killing, 
Uh, but when it comes to uh, a death penalty, right, if it kills uh, another animal, then you only give the death penalty if it does it uh, willingly, but not honest. That was the whole halakha that our Mishnah had taught in the first place. And uh, therefore, there's no challenge to Shemuel. And this explanation of the Braita, we're not just backing into it to save Shemuel. It actually is the better reading. Because if you say he's talking about korban, well, regarding an animal that kills, um, and that the fact that there is a distinction between honest and rason, well, that the, the law of honest of a killing um, is regarding korban um, is not mentioned in the pasuk, nor if it kills on purpose is it mentioned explicitly whether you can give it or not in the pasuk so the fact that we're bringing it like oh this we know like we know this one has a leniency but the whole thing that we're trying to learn too is whether or not you have to the owner has to bring korban in these cases that's actually the question that we're asking um do do you have to and we're deriving it from the law of of death of the death penalty for the animal so we have to you can only learn from something you know to something you don't know what we do know is the law regarding uh death penalty that's the law it says in the mishnah the mishnah brought a pasuk also for it and that's the leniency and stringency is regarding the death penalty so this whole comparison is regarding death penalty and is not about uh, Korban. So therefore, the Korban is not, not said in the Torah, and that's why uh, it's ambiguous, and therefore there's no challenge to your tier to Shemuel. All right, now that we solved that, we're just going to analyze one part of this. Whereas an animal that kills, the owner has to pay ransom, but uh, an animal that is valve in bestiality, the owner does not pay kofir. Uh, what is the case? See, so generally, ransom is associated with killing someone. Because it killed someone, therefore, uh, the owner is liable to ransom. So in this case, did it kill someone or not? Uh, of, of, in case of bestiality. If it sinned uh, with uh, bestiality and through that act also killed, the, uh, let's say, the woman that it was with, so then, well, what's the difference how it kills it? The keren with the horn is just an example. But anyway, that the, the animal kills is going to deserve kofir. Um, so it doesn't. It really doesn't matter the fact that it did it in, also in the act of bestiality. Um, it still is murder and therefore, well, it was still is killing and therefore the owner would certainly have to pay. Uh, ransom. So it can't be that case. Um, but if it did, if the animal committed only bestiality and didn't kill the woman who's the victim, uh, then the fact that it doesn't pay ransom, that's only because it didn't kill her. Now, right? There's no the the law of ransom has not is not within the category of bestiality. Bestiality is not going to require ransom. So um, therefore, it's not a chidush. It's not really a leniency in this law. The fact that for it to be odd, there is no payment of kofir, that's not a leniency, it's just in the wrong category, and then you wouldn't bring it as a comparative leniency. So what is the case? We have two answers. 
התשובה לבדינה וקטלוה, מהו דתמה כמעט דקטלה דמה כמשמלן. אבייסס הוא מתוקם על הקייס where the animal did רביעה with a woman, but didn't kill it, the animal didn't kill it, but then because this woman was involved in a sin with an animal, let's say she was willing, uh, a participant, and so then she's brought to בטין, and בטין gives her capital punishment. So I might have thought that the owner of the animal is indirectly responsible for the death penalty given to the woman because she got the death penalty for sinning with the owner's animal. And so I might have thought that the owner does have to give the uh, ransom for that act um, because it's like he killed her and therefore Kamash uh, Malan that, that's why the Baraita has to teach us that not so um, well, the owner of an animal only has to pay ransom if the animal act itself directly kills an animal not if it just caused was involved in a sin for which the woman got the death penalty later in, a, in court. Okay, that's Abaye's answer. Rava Amar Leolam de Rabav Uveketala. Udeka Kashialach Mali Ketala Bekanai Mali Ketala Berivia. Keren Kavanatola Hazik. Hi, Kavanatola Hanat Asmohu. Rava says, in fact, the case is that the animal uh, killed her in the course of bestiality. And that which you asked, well, what's the difference if it killed it with its horn or killed it through an act of bestiality? After all, it killed it, so therefore it shouldn't make a difference, and the owner should. Have to pay a ransom either way. Oh, Rabbi says, I have an answer. There is a difference between them. If an animal kills someone through Keren, that means it had intent to cause damage. It got angry. And that's why uh, it's liable, the owner is liable for Kofid. But this animal did not, it was not in a violent mood. Its, uh, its intention was to have pleasure for itself and uh, ended up killing her. But it wasn't because it wasn't, it wasn't its intention to cause damage, and therefore it is, a diff- it is different, and the owner does not have to pay ransom. Okay, so Rava explains it that way. Now, what would be a practical case that would be a difference between Abaye and Rava? If you have an animal that's walking normally and in the courtyard of a Nizak, and steps on a baby and kills it um, in that in that courtyard. Well, was that would be the would the owner be liable to pay ransom? According to Abaye, yes, you would have to pay uh, because it still killed it. Doesn't matter why it killed it. Uh, if an animal kills a person, the owner has to pay kofed no matter what. But Abba makes a distinction between why. If it kills it violently, then you have to pay kofed. But if it's killing it while it's doing its own thing, it's just walking for pleasure, then uh, then you do not have to. And so here, where it's just walking and it's not doing it violently to cause damage, the owner does not have to pay for the ransom. And now back to the original Machloket, where Rav says that it is fit to, be, to bring as an offering a, an animal that is forced to, incited to kill. Um, we have a Braita that supports it. An animal that performs in a stadium and kills the owner is uh, the animal itself is does not, you don't get the death, does not get the death penalty because it's anus, it's not his fault and you can bring it as as a sacrifice on the Mizbeach. Why? Because it was compelled to do so. It, was, it did not do so on its own. Baruch Adonai Amen ve'amen.